It is the stuff of fairy tales and the very best Disney movies you've ever seen. You can have what you want most in life. Isn't that really the stuff of fairy tales? Isn't it really what a lot of Disney movies are about? You can have what you really want the most in life. But we need to ask ourselves, is what we thought we really wanted most in life actually worth having? Sometimes we think we want something so desperately only to find out it's not all that it's cracked up to be. In Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, we read of a rich man that Jesus our Lord calls a fool. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21, the last four words of that verse are striking. I cannot think about them without cringing. The last four words of Luke 12, 21 are not rich toward God. There is nothing more important in life than being rich toward God, than having a great relationship with Him, a relationship that impacts eternity. And the rich man that God calls a fool in Luke 12, 13 through 21, had the bumper crop of bumper crops. He was already rich. This man already had tremendous properties, it seems. And yet his thinking is about building bigger barns and eating and drinking and being merry in the moment. Not rich toward God. I wonder how many people could have that said or written as their epitaph. Not rich toward God. But I am here to tell you tonight that we can have what we really should want most in life. We can have a relationship with God that's deep and real and vibrant. Our eternity can be impacted by the trust and obedience we give to God. We can have what matters most in life. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3 and notice verses 1 through 15. Because here is one of those occasions, and it's as real as it can be, where God says to someone, you can have what you want the most in life. You name it, and it's yours. Whatever you desire the most... And it's a passage familiar to most of you. It's Solomon. And Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked for a discerning heart. And God says, because you have asked for something so worthwhile, so valuable, so precious, I'm going to give you wealth too. I'm going to bless you in other ways. I want you to know 
that the God who was so generous to Solomon is the God who promises us wisdom if we ask and if we ask in faith. James 1.5 A God who gives to all liberally and upbraids not. A God who gives every good and perfect gift. James 1 and verse 17. When you think about God's good gifts, and especially wisdom, think Jesus Christ. Thank Jesus Christ. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3. It is in Christ our all in all. Colossians 3, 11. It is Christ who is our life. Colossians 3 and verse 4. And I believe James would say a hearty amen to the things that we've been looking at in Colossians 2 and 3. James is concerned about wisdom, and you and I should be too. Get wisdom, the writer of Proverbs would say, Proverbs 4 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom rather, and a knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, if you cry out for discernment, if you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek for her as for silver, if you search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will find the knowledge of God and will know the fear of the Lord. Wisdom. Turn in your Bibles to James 3, 13 through 18. Two kinds of wisdom, worldly and godly. As we consider James 3, 13 through 18 tonight, here's three considerations that we really need to let sink in before I give them. Think Jesus again. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do I want, do I deeply desire, do I cherish and value and highly esteem the wisdom of God and do I want more of this in my life? Or am I satisfied with some lesser type of wisdom that is a caricature of God's wisdom at best and a mockery of it at worst? A lot of people settle for that. Three considerations. Consideration number one. Those who are truly wise. Those who are truly wise consistently demonstrate wisdom through their good conduct. Those who are truly wise consistently demonstrate wisdom by their good conduct. Consideration number two. That comes from verse 13. Now verses 14 through 16. 
Those who were truly wise, those who really are wise, truly wise, avoid substitutes and counterfeits for God's wisdom. They avoid them like the plague, as we would say. Those who are truly wise avoid substitutes and counterfeits for God's wisdom. That leaves us, verses 17 and 18. And here is a third consideration. Those who are truly wise continuously pursue and embrace God's wisdom. We continuously pursue and long to embrace more and more God's wisdom. Let's begin now looking at James 3 and verse 13. Those who are truly wise consistently demonstrate wisdom through their good conduct. James 3 verse 13 begins with a very penetrating question. You can tell James has learned well from Jesus. No writer of the New Testament sounds more like Jesus than James. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise? He's going to respond to his question, but it's a great one. Who's really wise and understanding among you? A wise person has the insight, the insight to develop their attitudes and actions in a way that is pleasing to God. Wisdom is the insight to develop our attitudes and actions in a way that will be pleasing to God. And then that expression, understanding. Who is wise and understanding among you? The word means a person who is knowledgeable or has expertise in a particular area. Would you be considered a person who is knowledgeable of God's wisdom? Would you think of that as being an area of expertise in your life? The likelihood is if you do, you probably need more of it. And if you don't, it's there for those who really desire it and will show it in their lives. Notice what James says by way of response. The question he asks, the answer now he gives. Let him show by good conduct, mark it. Good. Good. That word is such an amazing word. It has to do with what is precious and beautiful and a value, it's precious. For example, the Bible speaks of having a good and honest heart, Luke 8 and verse 15. Jesus is spoken of as being the good shepherd, John 10, 11 through 14. 
If one desires to be an elder in the Lord's church, he desires a good work, 1 Timothy 3.1. We are to fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6.12. Every Christian should seek to be a good servant, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6. A good, good conduct. Conduct. You know what James is saying? James is saying every Christian needs to adorn the gospel. Titus 2, verses 9 and 10. James is saying here, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That whether I come to see you or be absent, I hear of your state that you stand fast with one spirit, with one soul, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1 and verse 27. Our lives, if we truly want to be wise, should be like the song we sometimes sing. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Your good conduct. Because we believe that there is nothing more important than sharing and enjoying to the fullest the life we have in Christ. Go back to James 3.13 because James is not through answering his own question. Who is wise and understanding among you? A person by good conduct is to show, display, exhibit. By our works, we exhibit what we value, what we prize, we praise. What we are passionate about, we speak about, and it's all that we can want to talk about. Great state of Kentucky, you talk a lot about basketball. Quite a bit about football, too, huh? More and more. In Texas, we don't have a whole lot to talk about these days. <laughs> but what we prize, we praise. And when we prize Jesus for being the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found, that comes out in good conduct. It is exhibited in our lives. Does the greatness of God and his wisdom and grace come out in you, brother or sister, are you exhibit A as an evidence for the greatness of Jesus and the cause of Christ? Every Christian ought to be, amen? Keep looking at the text. As we work our way through this in James 3.13, let him show, let him display, let him exhibit these works in meekness of wisdom. That's such an important expression. In meekness, not arrogance. In meekness, not pride. 
in meekness, not in being hard to get along with or does not play well with others. In meekness of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? James has answered that question in a way that sounds remarkably like Jesus. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. John 15 verses 4 and 5. James would say, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will exalt you, James 4 verse 10. And when it concerns others, those who in meekness of wisdom act with good conduct, it's never about them. It's always about God and what is best for the kingdom. How we need more kingdom-minded people. More truly wise people in the body of Christ. Now think about this. In James 3, 13 through 18, he talks about who is wise and understanding among you. Think about how James 3 began. Do not be many of you teachers, knowing you shall receive greater judgment or condemnation. One of the most dangerous people in the church is somebody who's willing to teach but is foolish and not exhibiting the wisdom that comes from God. How about James chapter 3 verses 2 through 12 and the use and abuse of our tongues, our speech. How many churches are hurt and devastated by people who do not control their speech? And James 1 and verse 20, 19 and 20, 26 and 27, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. We ought to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and keep in mind that pure religion before God is this. To keep ourselves unspotted from the world, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to bridle, control our speech. And if we do not, our religion is vain and empty. How unwise. How unwise. Let's move on. Look at a second major point. This comes from James 3, 14 through 16. Those who are truly wise... Those who are truly wise refuse to live off substitutes and counterfeits for God's wisdom. They won't do it. Notice this passage as it breaks down. First of all, characteristics of this wisdom that's false that's a substitute for God's wisdom. That's a counterfeit are given. And four are mentioned in particular. Four characteristics. The first one. Bitter jealousies. 
bitter jealousies. Some people have mighty long memories when it comes to being offended, don't they? Thankfully, nobody here at Lehman Avenue tonight has ever had to deal with that type of grudge, except the one in the pulpit tonight. Bitter jealousies. It was for envy that Jesus was delivered up, Matthew 27 and verse 18. And as one looks at this passage, you can think of passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 20 and Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 and the works of the flesh and this catalog that he gives, although with only four characteristics, sounds very much like some of the catalogs of sin we see in Paul's writing. Bitter jealousies, secondly, Selfish ambition. It's what I want. It's what I deserve. Sometimes that type of action and verbiage occurs in the body of Christ. And the issue should always be what does the Lord want and what is best for the church. And sometimes we think in our own way of doing things, what we want is always what the Lord wants and is always what's best. That is putting the wrong person on the throne. We're not qualified. We are exhibiting the same kind of wisdom that James is condemning in this very passage. Selfish ambition. Think of Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 where nothing is to be done out of selfish ambition. Had Jesus been that way, he would have stayed up in glory and said, uh-uh, I'm not coming down for those people. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Boasting. Boasting reminds me of a little poem I heard many years ago. I love myself. I think I'm grand. I go on dates and hold my hand. There are some people that they can strut while sitting down. They're boasting. They're full of themselves. And you know what? It's easy to see that in people. But it's not so easy to see it in ourselves sometimes. And then the passage says another characteristic of this type of counterfeit or substitute is lying, being false with the truth. Because either all the wisdom and knowledge that we really need is ultimately found in Jesus, our God, or it isn't. Either what Jesus is offering to us is the most important thing in all the world, or it isn't. And it is. It is. Now, having dealt with the characteristics of this counterfeit substitution type of wisdom, 
He goes on to say this about it. He deals with the source. The source of this kind of wisdom. And (laughs) James has a way of making a point, y'all. This is not the wisdom from above. You get that, Hiram? I don't think there's any problem understanding this. What I have been describing, these characteristics, is not the wisdom from above. But rather... And then he goes on to talk about this counterfeit wisdom and says its source is earthly. Paul would write of some people, they mind earthly things, Philippians 3.19. Some people really have a mind for earthly wisdom. James would go on to speak of the source of this wisdom as being sensual or unspiritual. Sensual. Unspiritual. It really doesn't have a lot to do with one's relationship with God and eternal destiny. It's wrapped up in other stuff. And then he says, it's demonic. It's demonic. 1 Timothy 4.1, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of demons. Members of the body of Christ can be some of Satan's best friends in spreading counterfeit wisdom. That's what James is saying. Now, before you have a hissy fit, in Matthew chapter 16, didn't Jesus have to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan? Peter's a pretty good fellow. He loves the Lord. But sometimes well-intentioned people speak and act in ways that show that they are following the wrong father too much. You are of your father, the devil. John 8, 44. And notice the results. Notice the results. Where bitter jealousies and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every vile thing. There's confusion. God's not the author of that. There's disorder. And every vile, every evil thing. And here's how James is saying things. When Christians start to buy in to counterfeit wisdom, to substitutes for the divine truth found in Jesus, trouble's bound to happen. You can sure see it coming. You don't have to be a rocket scientist 
to know when churches start buying in to this approach and selfish ambition and boasting, etc. Bitter jealousies become prevalent. The church is in for some trouble. I'm sure glad James doesn't stop there, aren't you? Now let's go on to James 3, verses 17 and 18. James 3, 17 and 18. Those who are truly wise continually pursue and embrace the wisdom of heaven. As long as I live, I want to breathe as deeply as I can of God's wisdom. And I want to embrace it like an Old Testament character said so long ago. I will not let you go until you bless me. Now notice what James does. All literary technique. He's strong here. The first thing James does is talk about the origin of godly wisdom. He dealt with that secondly when he was talking about the wisdom from the world, from below. He characterized it first. Here, he's going to talk about the origin of it. It's from above. It's from heaven. Our Father is in heaven, Matthew 6, 9. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3, 20. Our treasure is in heaven, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Our home is heaven, John 14, 1 through 6. Our inheritance that's incorruptible, imperishable, that fades not away, is reserved in heaven, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Earth holds no treasures but perish with using, however precious they be. Yet there's a country to which I am going. Heaven holds all to me. And it will be by God's grace and wisdom that we are there with him. Our birth is from above. John 3, 1 through 7. The God who is up above gives us wisdom. James 1.5, James 1.17. Here's James's way of thinking. There is a stream above that never runs dry. It can never be exhausted. You will never exhaust the wisdom of God. But oh, what a blessing it is to have a lifetime to rely on the divine wisdom so necessary to become people of wisdom and understanding ourselves. Now he deals with the characteristics of this kind of wisdom. Seven of them. 
The wisdom that's from above is first pure, holy, uncontaminated, clean. That's the wisdom from above. It's first pure and holy. Those who truly want to be wise perfect holiness in the sight of God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. We long to be more holy, even as he who called us is holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. Notice next, the wisdom from above is peaceable. God gives perfect peace to those who have their minds stayed on him. Psalm 26 and verse 3. Rather, Isaiah 26, 3. Great peace have they that love your law. Psalm 119, 165. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world knows. Give I to you. John 14, 27. A peace that passes all understanding. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. There is a relationship that cannot be overlooked. The wisdom from above is first pure. Then it's peaceable. You know, think about the very next chapter. What's the last word in James 3 and verse 18? What's the last word in your translation? And then the opening words of James 4 is quarrels and fights. I'll tell you why so many quarrels and fights occur. Because there's not the peace that comes with the wisdom from above. It's not being pursued and embraced. Then the Word of God talks about gentleness. Jesus, gentle, meek and lowly. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. And we are to be people known for our gentleness too. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Again, easy to be entreated. The wisdom from above is easy to be entreated. Open to reason. Some people are so unreasonable. There is no way you can get through. My mother fell a little bit earlier today in the nursing home, the assisted care facility where she is. I talked with her. She had to have several stitches put into her head, and I was trying to make her feel a little bit better. And I said, Mom, your head's one of the hardest substances on earth. I know that to be true. And I've never been so glad in my life because she could have been hurt a whole lot more. But I don't think my mother is the only one who can be hard-headed her son has done that more than his fair share. And perhaps there's a few in the pew tonight unable to reason, not easy to be entreated. Keep looking at the text. Full of mercy and good works. Sounds an awful lot like the Good Samaritan, good fruits. Luke 10, 25 through 37. He'd already talked about being full of mercy and good fruit in James chapter 2, 8 through 13. Not being respecters of persons, not being partial. That brings me 
to a sixth area, sixth characteristic. Without partiality, we will never look on the face of another human being who does not matter to God. The most telling thing about us as the people of God may well be what we say and how we think and how we act when we encounter others who matter to God and were made in the image of God. And yet they are not people whose appearance is like ours. Whose academic training is not like ours whose achievements are not like ours. God help us to be people who are not guilty of partiality, discrimination. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Every person matters to our great God. And then lastly... The text says, without hypocrisy, let love be without hypocrisy, Romans 12, 9. Sincere, to live sincerely and in good conscience, the wisdom from above is described in this way. And then notice its results. The harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness comes to those who sow peace and make peace. Got two minutes, ten seconds. I sure am glad. And I want you to know something. You cannot read James 3, 13 through 18, and especially the wisdom from above without thinking about Jesus because there's never been a person who has ever lived. Solomon doesn't begin to have what Jesus has. Pure, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1, 29. The one who with his incorruptible blood redeems us. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Peaceable, he is the Prince of Peace who gives us peace with God. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Then you think about him being gentle. God in the flesh and yet amazingly gentle. The children loved Jesus, didn't they? The herding loved Jesus. Sick love Jesus. Easy to be entreated. You can find rest to your souls by coming, Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Talk about easy to be entreated. He came down for us. He came down for you and for me so that we could be with Him forever. Full of mercy and good fruit. Never been anybody that even got close to Jesus in that department. Without partiality, He came to save sinners. Sincere and without hypocrisy. 
I want more of the wisdom that is from above because I want to be more like my Lord and Savior. And so should you. It's the most important thing in all of life. And as I close, think about the wisdom that is necessary for the unity that honors God, for the peace that should characterize the people of God. Let us be careful that we do not allow Satan to rear his ugly head in the body of Christ and for Christians to start acting more like children of Satan than children of God. Oh, how we all need more to pursue more and embrace more the wisdom from above.